They get the win over Houston 24 to 16. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles, a fourth defeat on the bounce for the Texans, but they're sitting pretty in the draft order, but this week join us a returning guest uh, from ESPN Radio 97.5, Mr. Cody Stutes. Cody, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man. How are you? I'm doing all right, yeah. I'm doing all right. Well, I'll be honest, I uh, I turned it off on Sunday, the first about sort of halfway through the first quarter and then kind of went back to it a bit later on, but... That makes sense. That makes sense. That was that was a worthwhile spot to turn it off. What didn't get a first down to the second quarter, so yeah. yeah, that was that was a good spot to turn it off. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Anyway, anyway, I think we would have to give the since we recorded Houston Astros have become champions of baseball. How was that weekend for you? A bit of positivity kick us off. How did you enjoy the whole? I was there the last time they won it, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, everybody was just in a great mood. Every bar you went in, it's. Uh, Busy, but just one big party. How did you experience that weekend? What did you do and how was it? It's it's fantastic. It's It was a great mood and it, it felt a little bit different than 17. I've been telling people, look, 2017, that's your first. You'll always remember that one. Just because it was your first doesn't mean it was the best. Uh, this one feels pretty damn good. And I really enjoyed it and have spent um, far too much on celebrating from a celebrating in the moment situation to all the different things that you buy after a championship. So um, maybe 50 years from now, I'll be able to celebrate the same way with the Texans. Yeah. Well, why I always reference back to that moment is because I think this, like when you see like a city come together like that and like celebrate something they waited so long for, it's, it's so special and and only really sports can do that. Um, But this football team seems a hell of a long way from that right now how have you been coping this season what were what was your kind of setup sunday you hiding behind the sofa or you drinking heavily or what you <laughs> what you do i just try to i just try to eat something extremely delicious during the game so that i could be like wow like i can identify really good memories with the game yeah. but it's based off the food not necessarily what i see and then from an individual in-game perspective i, I know what the end result's going to be um, it's kind of like, do, do you watch, did you watch Game of Thrones or do you watch Game of Thrones? Uh, no, not really. No, a little bit. Well, you, you don't have to watch it to understand the, the, this, uh, the, this analogy. So Game of Thrones, the show happened. It's finished. Um, and then they're doing a prequel on HBO now that takes place like a few hundred years before the Game of Thrones story. It's called House of Dragon. Well, Game of Thrones did a good job explaining what was going to happen in House of Dragon. I know what the end result of House of Dragon is, but I can be interested on how it all got there. I know what the end result is most every Sunday, but I can be interested on how it got there. That's kind of how I look at each game. It's like, I know what the final score is going to be when 60 minutes of football is done. But what in that game catches my attention what in that game can I hear from a conversation standpoint? Because sometimes these announcers give out little tidbits, give out little pieces of info that maybe the team wouldn't give local media or they would only give to TV people in like a TV interview setting. So just kind of pick up little things like that. And I mean, it, it's tough for this team. If this team is one of those teams that's dictating your mood over the course of the week, um, you're not having a very good winter. 
or fall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I've just become apathetic to it now. It's kind of got, and I don't know why. I just hit a point in the last couple of weeks because I think last season it was in many ways worse, but I didn't at any point feel this. I don't know if it's just the continual uh, losing, and you don't mind losing at times in in this setting. I think, and it's kind of teeing up quite well for the first overall pick, and I think hopefully it goes that way because I mean the results certainly went our way on Sunday. The the part for me that's tough is I expected them to be better. I expected the team to be better. I expected the team to have more cohesiveness. I was excited for Davis Mills when the season was going to get started. I thought of all the different options they could go, Mills was the right choice, and it became very clear very early on that he was not going to make a uh, make a genius out of Nick Casario and the Houston Texans for drafting him and keeping him around. So that was tough. You've seen some rookies hit some rookie walls. That's been tough to deal with. And so I had higher expectations than what they're achieving. And look, I love the NFL draft. It's one of my favorite things about football. I love it when the Texans are good. I love when the Texans are bad. I love the NFL draft. I'm over the moon that we may be talking about two top 10 picks. But all that's January, February, March, and April. I'm sitting here in November and I got to watch bad football every week. That's not fun. I, I, I understand. Like, look, I enjoy the draft. I love the draft. But getting to the draft with this football team has become difficult. Yeah, and it is. And it is about that. And, it, and you, you don't want to talk about it too much. But, yeah, it so very quickly became about the draft. And we'll come on a couple of stuff. You picked up some good points here. We'll, we'll pick up on it. Um, but the leading into the game on Sunday, there was the whole debacle or some more information, certainly when we recorded last Friday uh, after the, the, the Eagles Thursday night football. It certainly seemed like there was more information out there. There was sort of, you know, um, certain media people putting out there the package that they turned around. Apparently they were getting really close trying to rework the deal, etc. What was your whole understanding of it? Because my overriding reflection is it's another situation that Casero hasn't handled well. And I think it should, in when you see where this team is right now, if there was a second pick for anybody on the table, um, I don't think they should be here right now. My The the, the tough part is, if the money was the big holdup, is reworking Marion Cooks' contract, if that was indeed the big holdup, what do you think you're going to do this offseason when you trade Brandon Cooks? You, you're you're going to eat some of the money. Yeah. So why not eat some of the money and get a better pick and know where that... because you know this as well as I do. When a pick, when you don't know where the pick is, when you don't know where the selection is in the draft, it is e- easier to get that pick than to get the pick after you know exactly where the pick is. So if it was indeed the Dallas Cowboys, they were much. it was much easier for them to trade you the second round pick that they had than, say, this offseason when the Cowboys have the 50-something pick. Like it becomes more difficult to get what you were going to get for Brandon Cooks by making the deal in the offseason. And oh, by the way, you're still gonna eat some of the money. Like you may like it seemingly turned into a bad contract overnight. I liked the contract at the time. I also thought Brandon Cooks was along for the ride and was in. Like he wanted to be here. Like he he wanted to be um the veteran wide receiver for this team, no matter who the quarterback was. It's, it's clearly Cooks doesn't want that. So the the contract has turned very sour very quickly. You're still going to eat some of the money. Why not eat the money now, get the second round pick for sure, maybe a little bit more. I know there's a rumor of maybe a fourth added on there or something like that, but get the pick now. 
I don't believe they're going to get a second round pick for him this offseason. I believe they'll trade him. I don't believe they're getting a second round pick for him. And um, we're going to sit here and lament the, I don't know, 20 to 30 uh, draft spots that they missed by not making the deal earlier. Yeah. I find it, yeah, I, <clears throat> I find it really tough to swallow the more I heard about it over the week. Um, and, you know, I've been, I'm consistent and I've, I'll desperately want to be convinced by Nick Casario, but I'm not there yet. And I think this is just another example of it, of, as you said, the value is only going to go down. The second round is the ultimate sweet spot in the draft. You, there's so much value there. Every year you get good players, good quality starter level types in that in that range. And if even if it was a third I, 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 on its own, with some eating some dead money, you did that with Bradley Roby, you know, over a year ago to eat eight or nine million. We're the king of the dead cap. Um, continue to be. And we've got a, a, probably another 12 months before the whole situation clears up. So in this and in this climate, when he's dropping passes, quite clearly not engaged. Uh, body language is, is not there. Stripped to the captaincy, it was the best solution for everybody. And and I can't believe for a second we're not up for wasting money because that's all you know. We've done that for a long time now. The the way I looked at it too is like, wouldn't you pay ten million dollars for a second round pick, or or however much it was, if it's ten, fifteen million dollars? If I was an owner or general manager, I'd write a check. For ten or fifteen million dollars in dead money every year to have an additional second round pick, like I, I, I would have happily ate a lot most of the contract to make sure I got that second round pick. Like I, I would write a check every year with my dead money to go get a to go get a pick. That's kind of what I looked at it like because this guy is not going to be on the team next year unless something drastically changes or he has a change of heart, which I don't see that happening. Um, this guy's not going to be on the team next year. Well, that's it. Particularly the way he's playing as well. There's absolutely no framing of somebody being worth the second round pick. You got at a time where you had leverage against a team that needed another asset, and now it looks like they might go and sign Odell Beckham or something. But yeah, just for me, Corey, just another in a series of perhaps mismanagement of situations or not getting the optimum outcome for a team that needs every single little little bit of help it can get if it's going to build back in a timely manner because. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's something I say about the team on sa- on Sundays, and it's it's going to be the case for a couple of years, and has been the case for a couple of years. The Texans live in the margins on Sundays. Yeah, any small mistake is something that's potentially catastrophic for them during a game. Like one turnover can be catastrophic. One you know errant pass, like they li- they they need so many things to go right for them to win a football game that they live in the margins. They're almost that way. Off the field too. Now that's not just a, for having it all work, but having it work in a timely manner. Nick Casario really has to maximize all the opportunities, and it doesn't quite feel like he's maximized all the opportunities. So they live in the margins on and off the field, and Casario has has got to maximize these opportunities a bit better. Yeah, and I think right from the the Sean trade to you know your first big contract given out um, to a draft class where you spent future years to get the only guy that's looking like a serviceable starter. That I think, I'm, yeah, it's, it's it's not the best picture. And I think you need to build momentum in terms of a talent base. And I think that's that's the struggle. And I think, Cody, do you put it just down to just simply a lack of talent? Um, and that's why the margins for this team are so paper thin at times. I'd love to tell you it's a total lack of talent, but... And I talked with this in a post game uh, yesterday with Landry Locker. Give Brian Dayball the Texans. Give Lovey Smith the Giants. Who wins yesterday? 
it, I mean, Brian Dayball would have coached the crap out of the Texans and they probably would have won. Um, Lovey, Lovey's coaching staff and Lovey have disappointed this year. Big disappointment. I mean, expected more. There's an infusion of talent. There's an infusion of guys that they went to bat for to keep around that seemingly to me weren't any good at football last year, but this team should be much better. It really should. And I've been harping on this since the coaching staff kind of got announced. A lot of these coaches have coached in losing situations prior to arriving in the, in, in Houston. A lot of these coaches have coached in places where winning has been hard to come by. I don't know that everybody knows how to coach up winners. I don't know that everybody knows how to coach up winners. And yesterday from just a in-game execution standpoint, why is Lovey Smith running zone against this team? You got Steven Nelson, who's been fantastic as a free agent signing, one of the one of the big wins for Nick Casario. Derek Stigley is the third overall pick. The Giants have one of the worst wide receiver rooms in all of football. Why are you playing zone against them? Man these guys up. Let the, let Stingley and Nelson go to work. And yeah, Saquon Barkley's going to beat you, but at least it's going to be Saquon Barkley beating you and not Daniel Jones hitting 60-yard passes to Darius Slayton. I mean, Daniel Jones had one of the easiest days of his life yesterday. Yeah. Uh, because they, 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 he just attacked Lovey Smith's zone. On on the, the the Slayton touchdown, they ran that same formation, but just they just flipped it. So they had trips to the weak side. Um, so that meant that Harris had to go and drop into coverage on the strong side to cover the tight end. They then run the three guys into the in, into the four guys in the zone, and they make them make a choice. And it happened twice in the game. It happened to the, I think it was the same. The, the, the receiver they picked up from Buffalo, forget his name, Hodges or something. Uh, they got got one, got a long gain just before the Barkley one ran it in on their third touchdown. But on both scores, um, or on the score and the play that led to the score, they just ran a simple formation whereby they they overload the guys in there. They have to make decisions. They don't communicate well. They don't pass man on when they're moving in and out of each zone. And it's really that simple to just go and stress the communication, the discipline of how these guys play zone. It's that easy to beat them. And I think it's it's every week, Cody, and you're right, and I saw you tweet that yesterday that about the, the there's probably, you know, and we probably don't have any mismatches really much of the season, but surely Stingley Nelson versus, you know, those guys, Darius Slayton, etc., was the one thing you could go and exploit. Certainly wasn't up front. You saw they got pushed back all day. But even when you've got a strength on a team who has very little, if any, um, he's not able to leverage it and he's not able to adjust. And it's just every game and it's when it when it's when it's so blatantly obvious, it's uh it's quite tough because you're you're making a bad situation worse by being inflexible. Like you like you want to go Two weeks from now, you want to try to zone up the Dolphins because they're so talented and they have so many good pass catchers. Okay, be my guest. Hmm. But yesterday, you should have manned up the Giants, put your best guys on their guys, and just tried to win that way. And instead, you got the typical soft, cushy zone. And Brian Dayball and and Mike Kafka are really good coaches. Uh, I I put Kafka in a conversation to to be a head coach eventually with all those years with Andy Reid and he – jumps off the retrain into being an OC and calls the plays. And he's been fantastic with Daniel Jones. Those guys are really good coaches. They're going to beat up uh, a, a team that's not taking advantage of whatever little advantage they do have. Yeah. And even on the on the play that set up the first touchdown to a tight end who I've never heard of, um, the, 
the two safeties were about 10, 12 yard cushion off when the when the Slayton got it, then missed tackles and stuff as well. So there was <clears throat> two big touchdowns um, or two big turnovers for the Texans um, at a time when they really needed a touchdown. What did you make of of those two plays? And you know, just and hypothetically, if they do go and even put up, you know, six or ten points, do you think they they would have had a chance? I I I give. Damian Pierce is so damn good at what he does. I'm giving him a pass on everything. So if Damian Pierce makes a mistake, I'm going to just blame the other 10 guys on the, on the field. I mean, that guy can do no wrong for me right now. I love Damian Pierce. I think I tweet that every week during the game at some point. Like I, I literally love Damian Pierce. He's, he's one of the most fun things to watch in, in the recent history of the Texans. So I'm going to give him a break. That happens. You know, running backs fumble, certainly guys that are – having to carry so much of the load and have to try to do so much with what they like, like the, the weight of the, the offense is on his shoulders. So there's a, there's a try to do too much scenario a couple of times that pops up with Pierce. And you know that one was just a good old fashioned, got it knocked loose. Um, really disappointed to see Mills throw that interception right after he had a touchdown taken away. Like that was, that's tough. I understand I understand the spot you're in from a team and like where you are on the field and you feel confident about that to, to just have those two plays back to back to have one wiped off because of Kenyon Green's holding and then have the, the interception basically be the very next play. That's tough. That that's sort of a that's sort of a uh, a explanation of the 2022 Texans. Yeah. I, I thought in the on the on the, the fumble, it, it had been coming, I think, because there was the one in Jacksonville where he got ruled down and it was, you know, there was fractions in it. Um, he yep. coughed up a couple, so something needs to clear up. But let's get these mistakes out of the way now in a point in the season. And if it helps the draft slate, then, you know, we'll take we'll take these rookie errors along the way. And I think Mills just got impatient. I think he did the same on Thursday night football. He missed a wide open uh, Brevin Jordan, then he missed Aitken's wide open um, against the Eagles. Then he just... He just he was desperate to get a ball up the slot against the zone cover two they were in and, uh, and and didn't do it. And then I think he was just desperate to get a score on the clock because they needed one. Uh, but yeah, it was just, I think, it, but I think that's been a common theme as well of this team of not able to adjust the defence, but an offence not be able to come up and give away the ball at a time where you need to at least hold on and kick a field goal. And I, I, I think on the, as we're criticising, Lovey on the defensive side of the ball not being good enough absolutely no doubt about that but I think on the offensive side of the ball I certainly wasn't cock-a-hoop with the, the Pep Hamilton hire I think you'd remember his offense from Indy people seem to have a you know a, perhaps a warped perception we're maybe seeing that come to roost now but certainly I don't think it's his fault that, that Mills doesn't want to throw the ball down the field and when we actually did it you know when you look at their secondary that was a, something to target and didn't really feel like they did that but I think on the offensive side of the ball, they've just lacked cohesion and consistency and creativity at the right times. And I think it's just giving the ball away in spots where you're trying to drive and score. It just keeps happening every week. There are some guys that can't be head coaches, much better offensive minds, offensive coordinators or defense coordinators. Josh McDaniels is a great example of that. What's going on with the Raiders right now is an absolute joke. Uh, the guy's just better offensive mind and coordinator than he is head coach. Well, if that's true for some guys, they can't be head coaches because they're really good coordinators and that's where they're better suited. Why can't that be the case for Pat Hamilton? Pat Hamilton is just not a coordinator. He's a really good position coach or assistant coach. He's just not a coordinator. 
That's what this season has shown me with Pep Hamilton. He was getting a lot of praise for the success of a couple of different quarterbacks in the first year that he worked with them. Justin Herbert a year, uh, two years ago, Davis Mills a year ago. Pep's not a coordinator. That's what this year has shown me. Now he's got time to prove me wrong. He's got time to improve on some things, but I'd have a very hard time turning over the 2023 offense to Pep Hamilton after what I've seen in 2022. It has been unimpressive. It's been unimaginative. It's been scared at different times to take shots. Like at this point, you're a one-win football team. I know, I know the guys on this team and the coaching staff want victories. They don't give a flying hoot about the draft. I know they want to win football games. So why are you throwing five yards short of the sticks on every third and long? Like, what are you doing? Go out there and take a shot. Pep Hamilton is just, it seems like he's not coordinator worthy. And I would have a really hard time drafting a guy high in the draft and turning him over to Pep Hamilton for his first year in the National Football League. Yeah, no, I could break somebody. I think that's the feat. I think because you've got, you've got, you've got points where you see again it's repetitive, and you know, and it, this season is repetitive. So buckle in everybody. But like, you know, we were we were running the ball well at a Vi formation. I must have wrote down about five or six tallies in that and, and against that against that setup, um, and just goes away from it. Um, First downs with Damian Pierce three times when they lined up on on the I formation um, through the B gap and and first downs just go away from it um, and regardless of how good you are in in, in getting a flow getting a, a a feel for the game and calling the right plays and, and making those adjustments the fact that you come out and go three and out three times on the road after a longer week than you normally have I think is inexcusable. Yeah, that's uh, uh, to have the mini buy and to go out there and perpetrate that against the Giants defense. That's fine. This is not an amazing Giants football team. It's not an amazing Giants defense. It's a fine defense to go out there and have that occur is 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 really poor by the entire offensive unit. Yeah, and you talked about the rookie wall um, earlier on, Cody. Do you have? And I think Kenyon Green at times, though, it was much better than he had been the three games prior. Um, but two flags on him, um, quite a few slips in pass protection. And look, it was a mismatch in the middle uh, with Williams and Dexter Lawrence, two guys who are oh, yeah. probably underrated um, in Nasty. league circles. Um, there was a play on the second drive where you saw the blue the, the, the blue line on the broadcast and then where the line ended up after the point of attack and literally been driven four yards back. Um, on a seven-step drop <laughs> into Mills, um, and it was a mismatch. But so you've got to take the context, and but I, I've got a bit of concern about Kenyon Green at this stage. Um, what's what's your views on Kenyon and and just the kind of bit of drop of form in a little of late? Kenyon Green really needs a season as a pro, is what I've determined, and what I feel is is, is really necessary for Kenyon Green. And what I mean is, Kenyon Green spent a lot of time in the off season interviews, nobody was, you know, hammering him with workout programs for football work. He was getting ready for the combine. That's not always football work. Kenyon Green, to me, if he's a big-time player, this next offseason is going to be a huge offseason for him. He's going to come back. He's going to have his body in better condition. He's going to be in better shape. He's going to be more in tune with what is necessary for a season of the NFL. And you got to think, with the Aggies, he played, what, 13 games? We're coming up on those 13 games right now. Like, he's going to have a lot more football 
under his belt this year, and then he's got to go and attack the offseason and just sort of change what how, how he's put together. I'm not saying he needs to come back and be Tony Mandrich, okay, some workout freak, but change himself a little bit. Green has been very up and down, and I'm okay with an offensive lineman being up and down. The tough part for me is – I'm always going to be constantly comparing Kenyon Green to a couple of guys that are woulda, coulda, shouldas in the draft. I think a lot about um, Jordan Davis and how bad this rushing defense is, that perhaps you could have drafted him. Nick Casario mentioned they had an opportunity to continue to trade back from 15 to maybe the 20th area. At 20, could you have done something different than Kenyon Green? Maybe a George Karloftis to help the edge a little bit. But at the same time, this guy's the best left guard this team has had since Wade Smith when Wade Smith was going to the Pro Bowl between Dwayne Brown and Chris Myers all those years ago. So it's been a long time since they've had this level of potential and stability at left guard. So I like that aspect of it. I don't know what they would have done if they didn't have Kenyon Green. And so with that and with that part of the conversation, I'm not in love with taking a guard in the first round, but it's sort of a bonus pick. The first round's more about Stingley. It's less about Green. You obviously want Green to succeed, and I feel like you're seeing hopefully a guy turn into a really solid piece for the future with the potential maybe to move past and jump past that solid conversation into good to really good eventually. So, yeah, I'm worried about him now, but I feel like I'm going to be more worried if this is the Kenyon Green we see a year from now. The offseason should do him wonders. Yeah, and that's where he'll – He's probably at crossroads in his career. I think is he going to be like you know that up live up to that slate, or is he just going to be one of these guys that was picked high and kind of hangs around the league? And yeah, I just when he oversets at times and he kind of he's 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 his uh, shoulder his pad level kind of gets away from him. He's kind of arched over. He gives me Suofilo vibes. Dare I say it at times um, in pass protection? Oh, don't put Suofilo <laughs> on him. So uh, is, had, is that is the X Man still in the league? Is Suofilo still in the league? I don't. Th- uh, he was at the Cincinnati, wasn't he, last year or the year before? I think he may be gone. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, more. Oh, uh, he he is a free agent, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So, not surprised at that. But, yeah, I think he's, <laughs> he's yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I hope it's fine. I hope it's fine. But um, yeah. one thing they said in the broadcast, um, staying on the offensive side of the ball, was... Nico Collins potential one wide receiver. Where do you see that? And he's missed time again, so it's it stemmed his momentum in terms of being the player he can be. But do you think he's do you think he's that good, or really do we need no. to be looking at a number one piece beyond him? No, uh, yeah. Nico's not a number one wide receiver, and if he's your number one wide receiver, you're a really bad football team, which is exactly what the scenario is right now. Um, the positive for Nico Collins, the positive for the Nico Collins conversation. The arrow is finally pointed up or pointed in the right direction, and it stayed that way. Like you've seen incremental little improvement from Nico over the course of this season. And so the arrow was supposed to be pointing up last year and in the offseason, like it's pointing up and it's staying that way. Like he's moving in the right direction. Nico Collins, if he's a number one wide receiver, I'll be shocked. However, if Nico Collins turns into a really nice number two wide receiver and you get a number one with him, that's a nice one-two tandem. Like imagine imagine a young number one potential wide receiver, Nico Collins, the hopes of John Mechie, 
and then a and then Damian Pierce, and then if you could find a tight end, perhaps in free agency, that's a nice core to start with. If you have a young quarterback, or you know, I suppose Casario could chase a veteran. That's a nice core to start with. Again, Nico Collins has got to become a better number two wide receiver. I, I the, the conversation I had earlier in the year is if he turns into poor man's Mike Williams, like I, I'm really ecstatic with what Nico Collins has been able to do. I don't believe he has the talent to turn into Mike Williams, but if he turns into poor man Mike Williams, where he's kind of got that big play thread and then in an inferior guys, he can have a big day against them. And then there's another wide receiver, a la Keenan Allen, to take a lot of the pressure off of him, allow him to get those big plays. That's what Nico's – like, he can improve his stature as a number two wide receiver. I don't believe he was even a number two heading into this year. He just happened to be the Texans' number two. So he's doing a good job cementing himself as a number two wide receiver. And that's a big positive for him because if that growth is there, it's not quite like the DK Metcalfs, the Deontay Johnsons, the Terry McLaurins, but he needed to showcase that this year. So you felt confident that you didn't have to blow up the whole wide receiver room. You just need to go get a stud, a star in some way, shape or form. Yeah, Nico's going to end up, it seems like being a really nice number two option at the wide receiver spot. Yeah, no, definitely, and I think he's. <clears throat> it's a tough one, isn't it? I think because he's, he's, he certainly shows flash. Like that touchdown on Sunday was great. Um, it was exactly what you would have wanted. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's got, there's got to be, there's got to be more consistency and a better usage of it as well. Because this is a great platform to use him this year and see what he's got and perhaps overuse him. Um, but just like you know, Damian Pierce gets too many snaps, fumbles it. Um, it's kind of similar to not getting Daddy on the field, and he has a nice third down conversion on that drive where you. Where you, uh, where you should have scored, and it's not necessarily the best utilization of weapons. But um, is is asking people to watch Davis Mills in this offense for another year next year? Is that too much to ask for the fan base? You're damn straight. It's too much. Yeah. Look, it, I, I I believe the most likely scenario, and and this is the way I kind of like to talk about things. There's a lot of different ways Nick Casario could go, but the most likely one is that. They draft a young guy and they're able to go about having Mills sort of have that faux competition with him. And then they have the young guy eventually beat out Davis Mills, be in training camp or be it in a, you know, early part of the season. Like that's the most likely outcome. I think of the situation is young guy beats out Davis Mills. Mills will be on the team next year. Just be the backup. Just be the backup. He'll and and then you know once his time with the Texans is over, Davis Mills will bounce around the NFL, getting that backup opportunities or things like that. You, you, you can't you can't run that guy out there as a starting NFL quarterback next year. He's not a starting NFL quarterback. We 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 found that out. We figured that out. Yeah, I think as well. But I I just keep going back to the fact that, and I know Lovey was asked a couple of times in the in the presser at the end of, you know, would you think about making a change at quarterback? And they, and and the reality is they probably can't in any way which would improve the team. But just like kind of, you know, how they've kind of mismanaged certain position groups on this roster, he was handed the role, arguably deserved it, arguably, you know, I would I would perhaps argue that he didn't deserve to be handed the role. But regardless if he if he deserved to be number one, there was no legitimate competition, one that could push him and two that could develop him um, in any sort of great way. Um in you know 
Allen's okay, but you know I don't think he's going to come in and win you games. He'll be r- relatively steady. So, yeah, I just I, I do think it's going to be too much. I think if you're feeling a sense of malaise right now and or just kind of downtrodden by this season, I think to come back and and run it back like the the feeling that free agency had, like you touched on earlier, is going to be too much. Um, definitely. Flipping over to the other side of the ball, uh, Jalen Petrie benched. Um, well, certainly benched for a little bit. I didn't see any value in that. Um, I, I certainly think Jonathan owns a bigger liability, and I think the only way he's going to get better at tackling is by keeping him out there. But um, Petrie's season, the missed tackles were certainly getting a lot of run, and there was a bit of focus on him. Uh, I, I, I tweeted simply, at two Petrie. I mean, it, it, it kind of felt like, I couldn't believe Jalen Petrie of all the people had betrayed me on this defense. Um, that missed tackle on Slayton. And then what the hell was Cashman doing? It looked like he was going to make the play. And then he just all of a sudden was out of the play. I've watched like five times. I can't explain why Blake Cashman didn't make that play on Slayton. Um, that felt like a timeout. Not because they wanted to put him in timeout but because it was the best thing for him to go into timeout. Here's what I mean. A guy like Petrie, with he has those negative plays stack up for him. It feels like he could kind of be in one of those just like trying to do too much, trying to overcome and make up for some of the negative plays, trying to do too much. That felt like a calm down. That felt like a get off the field, calm down, do what you're capable of doing. The guy was a heat-seeking missile to start the season. Like, he was fantastic early on in the season. That felt like a calm-down moment. Just, like, grab him. You kind of grab him by the shoulder pads. Hey, calm down. Relax. Do what you're capable of doing. I'm not worried about Jalen Petrie long-term. Rookie wall. Guys have figured out how to attack him. It's been a little shaky from an overall defensive perspective on this whole team. I'm not worried about Petrie. Bad moment for him. He's had a bad few weeks from a tackling perspective. That guy's going to get it right. That guy's going to correct it. Putting him on the bench for Eric Murray for a moment felt like just, hey, calm down, relax, do what you're capable of doing, reset. You know, it's kind of like when you're uh, when you're doing bad in a Super Nintendo game, you just hit reset. Okay, you don't even worry about you know using up your lives. It's like, oh, let's just start all over. It kind of felt like hitting reset on Petrie. Hit reset on him, then get him back out there, and it's like, okay, breathe easy, go in there. I'm not worried about Petrie, not at all. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I think there's enough tangibles there, and I think tackling is a is technique, and it can be fixed. He just needs to, they just need to find him or something every time he leads with the shoulder because it's just, it's just, it's not, you know, get both hands, go low, and bring him to the ground, and you know, it's technique because you're just trying to unbalance somebody more than anything else. But yeah, and Chris, Christian Harris, it started to seem like at times the lights clicking on. He's still got some terrible run fits at times, and I don't know if that's picking up bad habits from Christian Kirksey. Um, Cashman was out there a bit as well. Made some nice plays, but as you said, had a bad one as well. Um, um, Hansen was out there as well um, at the start, so there was a bit of interest. No Garrett Wallow, uh, or limited Garrett Wallow. Um, I didn't certainly see him out there. I don't know if he's injured or something. I missed that. But um, it certainly seemed like they tried to rotate and, and do a little bit different linebacker as a spot this week. I'm fine putting whoever... It's fresh out there because it doesn't seem the only person I want out there every time that they possibly can be out there is Christian Harris. He's, he needs the reps. He needs the opportunities to improve. And for me, with Christian Harris, I'm watching the game. Until he proves me different, this is how I feel about Christian Harris. It's a lot like Nico Collins. If Christian Harris is your best linebacker, you might be in trouble. 
If Christian Harris is your second best linebacker, you might have a badass linebacking group because if they put a stud linebacker next to Christian Harris, like a really good linebacker with Christian Harris, that would be a really fearsome twosome. I just don't know how you go about finding that stud linebacker because those guys don't hit free agency. And there's so many other places that you need to spin picks that it'd be hard to go out there and focus heavily on, you know, inside linebacker from a draft pick standpoint, but Harris is Harris is a fun watch. Yes, there's some question marks, and I wonder if a lot of the stuff from Harris is just, hey, he's got the game experience. He's going to work on it. The more input that he gets, the better his output's going to be. That's how I feel about Harris. And until he kind of proves me different, if he's the second-best linebacker on the team, you might be going somewhere. If he's the best linebacker on the team, which it kind of feels like he is right now, you might be in trouble. So um, I don't want him to stay the best linebacker on the team unless he turns into an amazing linebacker. Yeah. No, and I think, yeah, another week goes by and we don't really get a great evaluation of Derek Stingley because, as you said, they're on, in zone and you want to go and see him match up with some guys and, and battle it out and uh, refine his technique in doing that, you know, and being physical and not giving penalties away and all that kind of stuff. But he's been almost like they've kept the stabilisers on him a little bit and I think that's maybe something you'd like them to look at. But again, that inflexibility, but I don't think they will. Yeah, just, I mean... They have so they had so many holes on this team after last season, and they've plugged a couple of them here or there. They have so many more holes this year heading into next year, and they got a lot of draft capital and they got a lot of money, so they'll be better equipped to fill everything. But there's only so like, could I have made an argument that maybe you shouldn't have gone slot wide receiver and you shouldn't have traded a bunch of stuff um, to go get you know to to move around for Mechie. And to to move around for Harris and things like that, and like, should you have prioritized defensive end? Sure. Well, you still needed a slot receiver. I mean, Nick Casera didn't know John Mechie was going to have the diagnosis and the and the health problems that he had. But like, could you have made an argument that you could have gone a bunch of different ways with all the picks? Yeah, absolutely. But if you if you don't go the way you did, then where are you addressing those holes? So like, there's so many different things that they need to go through. It's like you have to bet on the guys that are in the building that are young getting better and stepping up because if you have to replace those guys, someone who you thought was plugging a hole, then you're really kind of, you're trying to backfill positions and things like that. Like you're not going to get any better overall everywhere else. If you're always trying to just find the base for certain positions, that's the tough part about like, they have to have a lot of guys turn into good football players or they're going to be yet again, working from behind a deficit. Yeah. And in terms of the kind of the draft that look in college game days on Saturdays, any guys that have caught your eye that you think you know people should be watching, keeping an eye out for us as the season, as the it's only got a couple of weeks left, and three or four weeks left to college before the playoffs. But any guys you got on, on your list? Yeah, I ju- I just do not know. I do not know how Nick Casario is going to use the other first round pick, the Browns pick. I, I have a I have a hunch that it's going to be quarterback with the Texans selection one one especially if you get to 1-1 one, one, or 1-2, one, um, I have a hunch it's going to be quarterback. So Bryce Young, I, I, I watch Bryce every week. Uh, most people watch Bama and they hate watch Bama every week. I watch Bama every week and I go, man, I wonder what Bryce Young would look like if he had a really good offensive mind coaching him. 
because Bill O'Brien's coaching him now, and he looks pretty good every week. It's like, I wonder what would happen if a really good offensive mind coached Bryce Young. Bryce Young's the guy. That's who I would like for them to take with the with the number one overall pick right now. I understand why some people might enjoy C.J. Stroud's work a little bit more, but Young has a little bit more of an it factor. He feels like a guy that's a little bit more mobile. So with that, uh, Bryce Young's my guy at 1-1. With that you know, eighth, ninth pick, whatever it is right now, I do believe it eventually finds itself outside the top 10. Uh, look, it, the big-time defensive linemen will likely be off the board by the time the Texans go to pick. So Georgia's Jalen Carter, uh, the, the two Clemson guys that are really, really good, I believe those guys will be off the board by the time the Texans come around with that second selection. But I would definitely be thinking about wide receiver, someone like uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba um, could could tick down a little bit because he hasn't played a ton of football this year. He's going to test really well, so maybe that's going to push him back up. Um, uh, Keishon Butte from LSU, fantastic wide receiver, if you want to watch him, um, has probably not been utilized the exact same way uh, that some of these previous LSU wide receivers have, but the guy is fantastic. He's very, very good. I would also, you know, you're not going to find yourself in a lot of, um, you're not going to find yourself in a lot of scenarios where you're watching a ton of like Boston College football, but Zay Flowers, who's on their team, is really good. Um, both the Tennessee guys are solid, and Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. Um, Jordan Addison at USC, uh, he came back and they scored a gazillion points uh, and covered a huge number on Friday night against Colorado. So wide receiver is where I'd be paying attention to, mostly on the outside guys, because it feels like if Mechie comes back, Mechie's going to be um, that inside guy. So I'd be looking at a little uh, some, some wide receiver help. Um, I suppose if they moved far enough back with that other selection, they could think about uh, the Notre Dame tight end, Michael Mayer. Really talented guy. He's going to be the first tight end off the board. Uh, but watch Georgia, and you're going to say, uh-oh, you can talk about the tight end of Georgia. Uh, Bowers, he's not he's not draft eligible. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know Bowers isn't draft eligible. I want him drafted next year, um, not this year. He obviously can't come out. Darnell Washington is their other tight end. He's a monster. He's a massive human being. He's 6'7". Uh, he's listed at 270. He's damn near 300 pounds. Um, he is a legit hybrid tight end, even though he's a massive person. He's not a blocker only. He can help. The conversation every time Georgia plays is, oh, my God, look, they put six offensive linemen on the field. Nope. It's just their extra tight end who's a massive monster. That guy should be a really interesting draft prospect, top of the second. Um, maybe sneaks into the latter part of the first, depending on what team might take a chance on him. But he's a top 50 guy for sure. So I think about him from a tight end perspective. This is a, this is a tight end room that's a very weird tight end room. It's veteran heavy from the guys that are succeeding. The young guys aren't succeeding really well. And then just about anybody who is a defensive end, um, think about them, pay attention to, to them. And they're, they're going to have to draft an edge rusher. Uh, my guy, Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, uh, that would be kind of a, an interesting one. You got to have some projection with him. The consistency is not totally there, but maybe some projection with him. He's a mid-late first rounder. I do believe Casario is going to use that other first round pick the same way he used it this past year maneuvering around somebody wants to come up. He has say five guys on his board. He wants to move back two spots. So he still gets a guy off his board and add some more draft picks. 
just so he can also maneuver back into that first round if he needs to. Remember, the Jets did this last year, ended up with three first-round picks. Those guys have been pretty good. When you have a top pick at the, you have a pick at the top of the second so high, it's a lot, it's very easy to move into the first round and end up with three first round picks. And that becomes, you know, you, you, you take less, um, you take less of the chance out if you're drafting a higher talented, higher drafted guy. You take less chance that you're taking a risk with a lower drafted guy. So yeah. I would think those players just pay attention to wide receiver, pay attention to end. And then, um, uh, man, Darnell Washington, my, one of my favorite prospects um, in, in this draft. It's going to be fascinating to watch him uh, watch yeah. him in the draft process. Do you think there's – I mean, there's, and I do see the argument at times. And I think when you're in that 1-1 one, one spot, like you've got to get the ultimate premium uh, for it if you move out of it. But at the same time, there's a premium of getting it and you may never get another chance to get a quarterback if you are successful and proven in the way you want it. So I I do I do kind of see the argument on both sides of the coin. You want to get because it's hard to watch, and you, you want to get somebody that can actually play the quarterback position. But then you also think, well, is this the right setup for a young guy? Could you break him? Um, like we said earlier, and if a team offers you a ransom uh, to trade back, then it might be difficult to say no if they're if the asking price is you know at the premium of which it has been in previous years. Man, I just the way I think about it, the the the, the way I the way this franchise has had luck not go out, go their way when they've ended up with the number one overall pick. I mean, when they end up with the first pick ever in their franchise's history, the, the quarterbacks to choose between are, are David Carr and Joey Harrington. Like, now they probably should have just taken Julius Peppers. Like, um, when they end up with the first pick the next time, Vince Young. I mean, Gary Kubiak didn't want Vince Young. Um, that And Vince turned out to be an okay pro initially and then turned into a disaster. Um, you know. The next time they have the number one pick, Genevieve Clowney is the pick. I mean, they didn't want Blake Bortles. To have the number one pick and potentially have a quarterback that's worth drafting, yeah. it is it is something this franchise has basically never had in their history. So it feels, it feels very tough to – now, the conversation gets interesting if, say, the number two team really wants somebody at number one and you're still getting one of the top two quarterbacks. I'm not in love with Stroud. But if you leave with that that first pick, if you leave having made that first selection, and one of those guys is in the court, that one, that guy in the quarterback, it's going to be real hard to take this this organization seriously, and it's going to be real hard to sell hope for this organization unless you've done something else in free agency or from a trade perspective that gives you somebody really fun and interesting. Yeah, and do you think they make a change of the coaching staff because if you are to align? Is there any point keeping this current coaching staff quite clear and efficient on both sides of the ball? Both both guys calling the plays are tied to one another. Is there, If you're starting afresh, and we'll probably get an idea into that in the coaching cycle, higher change, if they are going to go a quarterback, because that could probably be the biggest indication. But do you think new coach, new quarterback, reset again for a second year in a row? Is that, is that feasible based on the conditions as Lovey was hired upon? Um. It's going to be really easy to sell from a football perspective that Lovey Smith <laughs> failed this year. Yeah, I mean, David Cully coached a four-win football team. Lovey Smith may not coach a four-win football team. Like that. The, the, here's the here's the thing: if you're going to do that, if you're going to move on from Lovey Smith, the last time a franchise did fire fire after one year was San Fran. It was Jim Tom Sula. It was Chip Kelly, and then they went and got the offensive coordinator of the NFC champions in Kyle Shanahan. 
and Kyle had coached the team up on offense to the Super Bowl with Dan Quinn, and Kyle had turned Matt Ryan into an MVP candidate. It was a no-doubter. Everybody understood it. Everybody paid attention to it. If you're going to make the change, you have to get one of those no-doubters where everybody is on your side, where everybody feels like it makes a ton of sense. Josh McCown didn't make a ton of sense. Heinz Ward, uh, Lombardi's grandson, who runs the offense in, in, in L.A. for the Chargers, like those guys didn't make a ton of sense. Like Ending up on Lovey Smith didn't make a ton of sense. If you're going to move on from a guy after a back-to-back, uh, after one year, back-to-back times, it has to be the no-doubter where everybody's in your corner and everybody feels like you're making a great decision. There's not very many of those guys right now. The one that I feel like could emerge as one of those guys is D'Amico Ryans. And obviously, the extra conversation, uh, the uh, criticism for moving on from an African-American head coach would be mitigated if you're hiring an African-American head coach. Um, It just so happens that if D'Amico ends up being the best candidate, okay. I I don't care if you're purple, yellow, blue, green, uh, you know, pastel colors. Uh, if, If you're not a good coach, I don't want you coaching my football team. Um, and if you are a good coach, I want you coaching my football team. So, I mean, I, I'm not blind to the conversations around the issues with minority candidates getting opportunities. I'm not, I'm not numb to that. But at the same time, if Lovey Smith goes out here and coaches a football team worse than David Culley coached a football team and the defense that he's in charge of takes a step back and you want to move on from that guy, like from a football standpoint, that's a conversation that's worth having. Yeah. No, I think so. And as I said, I think we'll get an indication of uh, of where they'll go with that top spot. It might be hunkered down, run it back for another year, I fear. Um, but certainly... Uh, if, if they if, if they do that, though, Lovey has to hire a defensive coordinator, yeah. and they, they might need to do something different at off, on offense yeah. with an offensive Yeah, team. yeah, they'll need to be some like sort home. of sacrificial lamb. Um, it did go well, I think, in terms of the Browns coughing up 39 to the Dolphins. Carolina won, the Lions won, the Steelers won, all pushed them ahead of three-win teams. But I suppose the the concern and what could be the nail in the coffin, Corey, and I think they were about to, after this Washington game, we're about to hit a really tough stretch. And this team hasn't been blown out despite the way in which the games have gone. They perhaps should have been. Um, but can you see, you know, with the Dallas, Kansas City, Miami, um, and potentially the Browns at home, maybe could potentially be a nail in the coffin there if Watson comes back and win. But it feels like this team's overdue to be blown out. And I think if you start to stack them up in that really tough run of games, I think that could potentially change the change the viewpoint on if you make a change at coach again for a second consecutive year. The Dolphins might hang 100 on this team. It's a, <laughs> yeah. a, that, That's going to be a really tough game because the Dolphins have two really good running backs. And, the, oh, by the way, they have one of the best uh, wide receiver duos in all of the football. Um, look, I want them to win one more football game. I want them to spoil Deshaun Watson's debut as a Cleveland Brown. And then the rest of those feels like the game is going to go the way the game probably should go. I don't see how they're going to surprise anybody besides maybe the commanders and the Jaguars um, on this schedule. Uh, The Titans know how to beat them. That's in Nashville. um, So it's a road game. We know how Davis Mills struggles on road games. The Cowboys should smoke them with their running back duo. The Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes can beat them. The Colts later in the year, Jonathan Taylor. That one's an easy scenario. Just beat the Browns. I don't, you know, Nick Chubb and, and Hunt, fantastic, obviously. But beat the Browns, 
there's your two wins. Hope that the Raiders sneak one more out there. So you've got the game cushion that, 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 that went over the Browns doesn't hurt you a ton in the draft standings. And yeah, it, the commander's game will tell us where this, this team is and where it's going to be because you should be able to hang tough with the commanders. They'll probably beat you, but you should be able to hang tough with them. If you can't hang tough with the commanders, there's not a lot of teams left on your schedule. You can't hang tough with. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it will be a test. That's for sure. And we'll find out. Yeah. If this team is, uh, is crumbling or can it, can it emerge? But I think certainly the, that str- this stretch of games um, from after Thanksgiving right through till Christmas Eve may uh, may change the viewpoint um, and it may have a few people looking for new roles uh, next year. But we'll see. It's not been tough, but um, thank you very much for your time, Cody, to come and join us to try and talk through the, a season, which is a slog for all concerned, but uh, hopefully stuff like this lets you hang in there a little bit more. Hey, if this thing turns into eventually finally getting the quarterback who's going to stick around, who's that guy, and like all those we talked, we started this talking about the Astros. I remember those years with all those really bad Astros teams with players of the past that I can remember. Hopefully, four or five years from now, we're sitting here having this conversation talking about this, and we're like, "Well, remember when Christian Kirksey was the starting linebacker for this team? Well, remember when they had to play Kurt Heinish because they didn't have any depth on the defensive line? Remember when Blake Cashman couldn't make that tackle against Darius Slayton?" Remember when O.J. Howard just wouldn't block the guy chasing Jordan Akins in the game against the Giants? Hopefully we'll have those conversations and we'll look back laughing about how those things led the Texans to eventually uh, getting much better like the Astros games or like the Astros teams of of the uh, early 2010s did. Yeah, well, as I said, somebody who's a Green Bay fan um, and now that they've, they've, they've come back against Dallas. So you can never, I mean, and I think, well, one thing, you never, never uh, under undervalue the good times because the uh, they go quick. Um, but also, you got to always remember, and the Giants were a great example of that things can change very quickly. It doesn't seem logical at this stage, but you got to hold that hope, I suppose. The valleys let you know just how high the mountains are, and right now the Texans are in a valley climbing their way out. We'll see how high their mountain gets. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening this week. Thanks to Cody for his time. Um, thanks for listening again this week to the Turn Up For What podcast. And we'll be back next week, hopefully, um, with at least a close, if not um, well-run game uh, by the Houston Texans against the Washington football team commanders, whatever the hell they're called these, these days. But we'll catch <laughs> it again next week.